All right, how we doing, everybody? Yeah, we survived, huh? All right. Hey, it has been one crazy week, and uh, I'm so grateful to see all you guys here. We only had, at the church, thank God, we had a uh, pipe burst, uh, but thankfully, uh, it was on the outside of the building. So um, the Lord came through, and I used my unbelievable plumbing skills to turn off the water. And then Ben Dion, like, capped it and did all the real things. But I had a part in that, okay? So uh, I felt really good about myself. And I know many of you, if you're watching uh, uh, from home and many of you have pipes burst, many of you have uh, experienced a week without power and it's been very cold. And man, I am just so grateful uh, to be with you here. Here's, here's the thing that I sort of liken this to. You know how um, I was sort of surprised that like there wasn't like mass rioting and people break into grocery stores, although there was nothing there to break into to get. Uh, but you know, like something. But the reason I think that was because everybody could look to like Friday, right? When it was Monday and it was really cold, it's like if we can just make it to Friday, we're going to be okay. Like how many times? I mean, you don't look at your weather app, but maybe once every week or so. But how many guys? How many guys were checking it like every hour? Right? You're like, oh, I don't know. Ah, man, look so, hey, Friday's looking good. Thursday's not so much. Thursday's about snow, Friday. And so we're all looking towards Friday. And this is how it is with the world. The world is, is feeling, and if you didn't have that forecast, you'd feel hopeless. But for Christians, we have a forecast. We have a forecast. And when we look toward the forecast, we know that hope is coming. It's going to thaw. The freeze will be over one day. And so our hope is in the forecast. And so I think for a lot of us, we need to look towards God's word uh, for that forecast. And that's something that we have that nobody else in the whole world has because we know how it's all going to end. All right. So we're uh, in a series called God's Design for Sex, Signalist, and Serious Relationships. And we're going to focus on serious relationships, primarily our relationship with the church today. How fun is that? Uh, and if you have any questions, uh, here's the number to text us. And we, will, uh, we weren't able to get in last week to the... Uh, Pastor Plex podcast studio. So um, this week we'll reinvigorate our uh, Pastor Plex podcast. So we'll be answering a lot of questions from last week as well as this week. So I'm looking forward to that. So please uh, send in those questions. Okay. Now on uh, Monday morning, uh, you know, actually Sunday night was Valentine's Day. How many guys had just an awesome evening out Valentine's Day? Nobody, right? Because there was, everything was closed. Adrian and I, we were like dead set. We were going to get out of this house. <laughs> we were like at the breaking point. We had like three dates canceled that we were going to try and knock out. And then it never happened. So we ended up, uh, we figured out a way to lock our door uh, to our bedroom, <clears throat> which you need to do apparently because the kids just keep coming. And so we set up dinner in our uh, bedroom and the chairs and candles. It was, it was an excellent night and we locked them out. And as the whole world froze around us, we had an evening of romance. Okay, so that was wonderful. And then the next morning, it was the next morning, as everyone woke up to a frozen wonderland uh, at our elder meeting, uh, we only had, uh, I guess we had 60% attendance at our elder meeting <laughs> because 40% uh, were dealing with things freezing and everything was falling apart. And so the devotion, you know, we do a devotional every elder meeting. And so I was leading everyone through James 2, which was like, 
Uh, don't just go to your, your brother and say, be warm and be well fed and then do nothing about it. Faith without works is dead, that sort of mindset. And I was like, how can we stir up the congregation to love people? Remember, love God, love people, make disciples. That's our purpose. How can we stir up our church to love people in this time of crisis? And we sort of sat there puzzled. We prayed about it. And uh, we were like, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. And then as the, the week unfolded, it looked, the really great part about this, we didn't have, because we couldn't drive anywhere, but the church just did it. And I was so moved by that. It was such a powerful thing. And if you're, you know, you're watching online and you're not involved in church community, and you're just always sort of at like a standoffish like thing. I get it. But man, it was an incredible experience to see the church operate as family this week. Now, I do think there are, there are some reasons why we don't operate as family, right? When, when you read the Bible, it says brother and sister. It, maybe it gives you the creepiness of like, you grew up in a, in a church where everyone was brother Bill and, and brother Bobby and sister Sue, right? Maybe you're like, that was sort of your, your upbringing. Or maybe just like, you, you resist God's design for Christian family because you don't want to be a part of another dysfunctional family. You already got one dysfunctional family. And so, so people start talking about Christian family. You're just like, I already have people that I have to pay for that I don't want to pay for. I already have a bunch of people that have issues that I don't want any more issues. Thank you very much. And listen, um, I can get enough dysfunctional at Christmas. I don't need every week. And so I think there's a real resistance to that because um, people had this feeling, I can do it on my own, thank you very much, and I come from that. I don't need a lot of that. And here's the other reason, because nobody here would go, nobody, nobody would say I'm perfect, right? Nobody says that. But people say this, I'm not perfect, but I really don't do anything wrong. Because that's why it's never your fault when you're in an argument with your spouse, because she's the problem. He's the problem. And if they would just simply do what you would expect them to do, we'd have no issues. And so you come and you bring that mentality to church and then all of a sudden people don't do what you expect and you are forever disappointed and you get grumpy all the time. And you start talking about the leadership and the pastors just like the same way you talk about politicians, which is why you shouldn't be in ministry unless you're called to it. Okay, that's another story. All right, second reason, right? Second reason, watch, is we don't want others to dependent on us because you've seen it. Like there's this black hole of need out there. And once you step into family, like there's people you don't even like that you are paying a lot of money to and you have to spend time with at Christmas and you have to do Thanksgiving with them. And it's just they're mm, Not only are they emotionally dragging you down, uh, they could be financially dragging you down. And there's a sense of like, I don't need another dependent person on me, okay? Or finally, finally, this might be the one that you're really afraid of. We're afraid of being fully known. Because if we're honest, if people really knew what was going inside your head, <laughs> going inside your heart, going inside my head, going inside my heart, I'd be a little cautious of letting you too close because you don't need to see the arguments with my wife and me. You don't want to see that I'm not really that great of a Christian. You don't want to see that, although I'm not perfect, I don't really do anything wrong, that don't really do anything wrong, I actually do stuff wrong and I have a dark heart. And so what happens is if you get to see that up close, there's a chance, what could happen? You might reject me. And that comes in the form of like, I'm leaving. Well, that comes in the form of, I'm going to utter some harsh criticism at you. And so what happens is we keep everybody a little bit further out because it's safer out there 
for me. Thank you very much. And that's why we don't do Christian family. Okay, so this morning, I really want to sort of like get at what it is to be a Christian. It is, this is, this is, I know this is sort of crazy, right? When you're born again, when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that he rose to the dead, Holy Spirit comes on you and you have entered into the family of God. You are then a, a brother or a sister of mine. And so it's kind of like you can't help but do life with me because we're family. And so I want to talk about that this morning and how God calls us to that and our resistance to it is probably something that's so dysfunctional in us that we've never noticed it because we keep, what, blaming everybody else. All right, pray with me and we're going to get into God's word. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. I'm, I am so grateful that we can come to your word that it doesn't change. And that the same issues they had 2,000 years ago and beyond are the same issues that we have today because people don't change. And so God, you have the ability to change us by giving us your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you have a, a work today inside this room and through the camera lens? And Father, would there be a sense of joy and peace overcoming uh, everybody uh, taking in this message that they might hear something from heaven transform their heart, and they would leave here, walk out of here just a little bit different, and their hearts honed toward you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3, all right? So it might be part of the sticky pages of your Bible, because here it goes to 1 John. It, it talks a lot about love. It's like love, 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 all the way through, and it's specifically talking about loving one another. And so John is going to really hit us hard on this message, okay? 1 John chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. And he's going to come up with a shocker. You've never heard this before. That we should love one another. Remember, we've heard this all the time. They will know we are Christians by our unbelievable snarky comments that really gets bam. No, that's not it. They will know we are Christians by how smart we are. They will know we are Christians by how athletic, how motivated, how successful we are. That's not it. They are going to know we are Christians by our, say it with me, love. love. That's it. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so therefore, we should love one another. And then he's going to give us, like, so that's what you should do. But don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, this is probably the reason Cain. Cain is the reason why you're sort of hesitant, resistant towards Christian family. Because you've experienced Cain in your family. You've experienced Cain at church. And uh, what Cain does is he causes trauma. Maybe big T trauma. You know, big T trauma is like, um, you know, stuff with war, serious injury, sexual violence, life-threatening experiences, like big time bad things that pretty much put someone very close to being in a hospital for because they, they get triggered and they are having... A, a flashback or whatever. That's a lot. I dealt with a lot of that with my soldiers in that I went to combat with. But then there's um, there's a probably maybe minor canes, lowercase c canes that uh, have it's like death by a thousand cuts. And so you experience the criticism over and over again from your from your dad. You experience the the negligence of your mom over and over, and it built up in you a resistance to Cain. 
which is great for coping. But what happened is you take um, the issue you had with your mom, the issue you had with your dad, and then you start putting that on other people, even Christians, even people that really want to love you. You start seeing them as potential threats because you've, been, you've got scar tissue all over. And so what happens is we start to view everybody like Cain. And so we're like, I, I don't do Cain. I've seen Cain. And so what happens, here's what happens. If you had a cruddy family life growing up, and this is for free. If you had a cruddy family life growing up, what happens is you start, to, when you see something that reminds you of something your dad did, brother did, mom did, that ex-wife or whatever did, you start to immediately think, you jump to the conclusion that person's probably like all those things. And so what happens, although you've just met this person for five minutes or maybe uh, two Sundays or maybe a month or whatever, you've formed an opinion and you start treating them with a little bit of standoffishness. And maybe everyone gets a little bit standoffishness, but you sort of harden it just a little bit because I don't want to deal with any more Cain. And that's what happens with us when we don't deal with the trauma. We start to treat everybody it's trauma. Okay, now no watch. Now, I love this. Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. Now, church people in general aren't of the evil one because they've been born again. But we have so much resistance, so much scar tissue built up of taking on a lot of Cain's. But we got to ask the question, and why did he murder him? I love that. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In other words, it was jealousy. I don't know if anybody grew up with a sibling and sibling rivalry. That's a real thing. It started with Cain and Abel, and then it was passed down from generation to generation. And that's why you don't want your, maybe you don't want your brother to die. You just don't want him to get do any better than you. Because you just don't want to hear about it at Christmas. Right, like that, that's, that's what happened. So like there's this comparison thing that sort of rises up in us. And so we kind of create defense mechanisms of, of why I'm actually just as good as he is, or I'm just as whatever. And so we sort of create our own little world of that. And so then, so then don't be surprised brothers, Christians, that the world hates you because they live that. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Wait, wait, wait. Because we love the Christians. Whoever does not love abides in death. To which you're like, does that mean they're not saved? No, 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 no. Watch, watch, watch. Remember, this is what Cain does. Cain was of the flesh. He was of the, of the evil one. He murdered right from the get-go. Now, what happens with us? Watch this, watch this. There's a point. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you got saved at Awana at like seven or six, something, okay, right? You, you were freed from the penalty of sin for forever. You were justified in the eyes of God. But you grew up with so much Cain around your life. You grew up with so much scar tissue that your coping mechanisms never transferred from the flesh to the spirit because nobody trained you. And so all you know is scar tissue. All you know is how to abide in death. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that, do you guys know what sanctification, this is, can I get to a churchy word? Sanctification is when God makes the believer righteous on the basis of grace by means of faith. And what that does, what that means is you overcome the power of sin. Instead of going back to your Cain ways, because you are a child of God, you go to your Abel ways. Cain and Abel. Abel was the good brother who got murdered. You go to your Abel ways and you're able to be vulnerable, even to the point of being murdered. And you're like, but I don't want to die. I get it. I get it. 
But the reality is that what God is looking for is the heart of you to overcome your sin nature, the stuff that he saved you from, and then you start to turn from that. Whenever that darkness comes up, you say, that's not me, that's who I was, even if you got saved at five. And then this is why, this is why if you tell your testimony, if your testimony is I got saved at eight years old and you know, never look back, then you are lying to yourself, right? Because there was points in your life that you had to turn back from sin. You walked into sin, that horrific thing happened, then you turned around, you walked back into sin, cruddy things happened, you walked into sin, nothing really bad happened, and then you still turned around, right? Like that, that is sort of what, how, the, how the gospel works. It's a constant repentance. Okay, did I hammer that home enough? Don't abide in death. Now look, verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer because you're abiding in death. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is where everyone gets like, mm, that makes me a little nervous because I'm not really fond of some people. Because, and the reason you're not fond of people is this. God calls to love one another despite our past. And this is where you're like, why would you want family to give me another opportunity to have another person hurt me? When it will be a huge emotional investment with probably very little return until the day when all the pipes freeze and need somewhere to go. And we've all experienced Cain's growing up. We've even experienced Cain's at church who are all, we're all broken to. We're all at this sort of a mess and we sort of get frustrated and we've left churches because that Cain, because that, we're, I'm out of here. Um, and it's because of trauma, right? Um, when I was in Iraq, um, not to be too glib about it or just cut it short, but I don't want to go into the full story, but long story short, uh, we had a night where we had a soldier die and I picked his body up, put it into a body bag, and brought it back uh, to um, our Ford operating base. And we were pulling the body off because we were going to go prepare it to send back to the States. And um, one of the, you know, soldiers think of just, we literally were on a runway uh, where our FOB was, was like an old Air Force base. And uh, I'm bringing it in, there's stuff going out, and one of the soldiers looks up as we're pulling the body off the the tank, and he like turns completely white, drops his chow plate, and just walks away. And just you can just see like he was trauma, trauma. A couple weeks later, uh, I see that soldier walking by, and he's got a black eye. I'm like, hey, hey, are you all right? What happened? What happened to your eye? And he's like, sir, I fell on it. Which you're like, nah, probably not, but I'm gonna let that one go. Like he got in a fight, right, because of the trauma, and he's with people. He boom, boom. He took a took a shot to the face, and next thing you know, um, he's experienced the trauma because he dealt with something he couldn't function. It made him unable to handle relationships. And next thing you know, he got in a fight. But because this is the family that we're all experiencing the same trauma with, you're on mission. Everyone sort of understands it, and you move forward. At least that's how dudes in combat environment are. Okay. Now. In the same way, it's the same way, the church is a place for imperfect people. And, and everybody's got their trauma, which is why when someone comes and they, they kind of come off hard or arrogant or edgy or whatever the thing is, you go, oh, there's probably something there that they haven't dealt with, which is why they're, they're kind of giving me this full-on set of darkness, and they have not lear- learned how to be mature. They've not grown in the spirit. They're still living in the flesh. And if you don't have the ability to minister to that, that's probably because you're in the flesh and you are immature. Does that make sense? 
And so um, I'm going to pick on some people. I'm going to pick on Tyler because he's Joni's wife. Jo- Joni's my assistant and awesome. And I, she gave me permission to pick on Tyler. Um, <laughs> so Tyler uh, thrives on routine. He's right here, by the way. Uh, Tyler thrives on routine. He loves routine. And so when the pipes froze, Joni, of course, is the sweet person that wants to invite the whole world over. And Tyler's like, I don't think you understand. I have a routine that I need to, to stay on. If you break my routine, then life is not going to happen. And so what ends up happening is three dudes show up from their community group. To which Tyler's like, spiritual growth. And I think this is what the beauty of this is it's, you get to watch Tyler grow, and that's a good thing, I'm, I'm getting really close with Tyler, I really appreciate Tyler, and Tyler has grown from a place of like, you can't, you can't mess up the control I have, because his natural cane response is just to control everything. I get everything my way, I get to do it my way, and this is my thing, and thank you very much, nobody move. And that's how, but the way that you overcome that is you put yourself in positions where you are going to fail unless Jesus intervenes in your life. And so bringing three dudes over that are not exactly as clean as Tyler and way more messy than Tyler and mess around with his stuff with Tyler and mess up his workout routine and sleep routine and all the routines and everyone just hangs out all night, starts talking and he's like, I got to go to sleep. You know, that's the reality that kind of wrecks your world. And I love that about Tyler and Joni is that they sort of stepped into that. Okay. He's not quite that bad, but maybe. (laughs) All right. So then what do we do? What do we do with that? What do we do with, how do we love? And I love verse 16. Look at this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, every Christian military person ever has used this verse for like, why you go into battle, and it's about the brotherhood, and there's some truth in that, but this is not talking about military anything. This is talking about Jesus died on the cross for us, and so therefore we ought to die daily for the brothers and sisters of the church. Okay, then he's going to go on, and I love this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Because he's abiding in death. He is of the way of Cain. Little children, let's not talk in love, let's talk love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Closing your heart against others is like the ultimate form of saying like, nah, I'm good. Thanks, Jesus, for dying on the cross, but what else you got? See, God calls us to love one another in deed and in truth. And so what was really, really, really special for me as a, a pastor, like again, as that, that Monday morning, the elders are praying, like how can we motivate and what can we do to kind of inspire people to love one another in this really hard time? And then... Um, I got, I just noticed how a lot of people were offering and people were staying in each other's houses. This became a really spectacular thing. Uh, the first one I got was uh, the joiners hosting the Blicks. And this was a beautiful thing. Uh, Adrian and I, we got to host uh, the Fords. And it was a really special thing because um, the Fords' oldest daughter, Paige, or daughter Paige, uh, she's so sweet, two and a half, and she found a new friend, Molly. And she rode Molly. <laughs> and she loved Molly. And Molly, for the first time in her existence, was exhausted. And so that was really good for us. <laughs> okay, and then we saw uh, the Blicks. 
Courtney and Jonathan hosting the Eastmans. And then you had, uh, this is, I felt really bad for Ashley Elliott as she hosted like four dudes, uh, her five guys. And I was just like, wow, that was, that was a lot uh, for her to take on. She took the picture in joy, I'm sure. Uh, and then their power went out at their house. And so then they went to Cody's house where there was power, which was great. Uh, and it was just neat to see the expression of love throughout our church. This, I mean, this is only ones I had pictures of, the people hosting one another, hosting one another, hosting one another, hosting one another, taking care of one another. And there was more like people delivering water. And the thing that's crazy about this is nobody could drive. It was dependent on people having four-wheel drive. And then all of a sudden there was a need posted on Slack, which I was really appreciated this. And Jeff Mitchell said, I will go around and pick up whatever I can to deliver to uh, Waterloo Terrace Apartments, and I will take care of all the needs of of, a place for someone to sleep. I think it was an air mattress that was needed. And and all the goods, he would just drove around house to house to house, like a delivery boy, and then through four-wheel drive, showed up there, and they're like, who are you people? We're Wells Branch Community Church. (laughs) I'm here to get you out. Like there's that reality that you saw the gospel being played out in a really spectacular way. It wasn't in word or talk, be warm, well fed, but don't do anything. It's like, well, we got to do something. I'm going to put my life at risk. It's your benefit at my expense. And that is the picture of the gospel. And when I I went for a a little prayer walk in this, amidst of this, um, and it was just kind of a cool experience to walk around in the snow. And as I kind of looped back around, my neighbor was outside. And uh, she was like, hey, how are you guys? Are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah, we're doing, we're fine. We get, it's been fun. We're hosting a family. And our whole church seems like everybody I know is hosting a family. She's sort of shocked by that. She's like, really? And it struck me that what happens when you have church family, you know immediately who to reach out to. You know immediately who to call because you are in people's lives enough to know that there is a need there. You're in people's lives. I mean, like, you're not calling the people at work. Or or maybe you are. Maybe you are. I'm not going to say that it's not happening. But, like, for the most part, people at church are looking out for one another because that's what we are called to do, to love the brothers and sisters. So it it was neat to kind of see her shock at that. And the beautiful thing is what Jesus calls us to do, and I love this, Jesus calls us to tape up our cross, die daily, and follow him. Which, remember, Jesus died on the cross for us, and so therefore we live for him. And isn't it true that it's a lot easier to die for somebody than to live for somebody? To which then people go, like, whoa, whoa, so it's, our lives are harder than Jesus? No, no, Jesus died on the cross, experienced all the wrath of God for all time. So your sins he died for back 2,000 years ago. So experientially, it's way harder, okay? But, and I love this quote from Chris Bowers, which I got from his marriage counseling. Uh, it's way, Jesus got to die. And sometimes we're feeling the weight of this. And he totally allowed me to use that. There's a sense of, like, I feel the weight of this. It's very difficult to, to minister because I have to live with her. I have to live with him. And it's so inconvenient. To which Jesus is like, man, it's really brutal, really inconvenient to die on that cross. And I think there's this part of us, we've learned that because of what Jesus has done for us, that's why we can be inconvenienced. Now, this is the part, I'm, I'm about to get in this next piece of this is where like, I'm hoping life change happens, aha moments break free, right? we're about to go there. So I know you've, you've been zoning out for the whole time, pull back in, okay, ready? Are people online, I need you to like, stop, go getting more snacks, hang with me. All right, 
Look, let's go down to 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Okay, so if you talk about Jesus, you say that you're a Christian, uh, you've come to believe in him. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And this is huge because a lot of us, watch this, we, you know, we are in a whole new category of world where there's a self-loathing thing that kicks in of like, I have no value. And what, what, what John is saying is like, we know that we are valued by God so much that he chose to die for us. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. He went through that for you. Okay. So God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We got that. By this love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. In other words, we have confidence on the day of judgment whenever Jesus returns that we are with him, he is with us, and we don't sit here and fret or fear. Now, if you had any other religious background, okay, uh, that where you, maybe you could lose your salvation or if you were come from uh, a Muslim background where you would say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. The only way to assure that is by jihad and martyrdom, which makes, it's a high, high bar of entrance and makes you do really crazy things, right? What he's saying is, but we as Christians know this because over and over and over and over and over and over again, all throughout the gospels, this thing of God's unfailing love, covenantal love. And it's from that we know we're free from judgment from God, which then makes us free from judgment from people. Now hang with me. Here it is. This is your verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. To which maybe you've heard this before, but you didn't really wrap your head around what it means. Okay. There is no fear in love, which means, which means this. Hate isn't the opposite of love. Fear is. Which, no, no, no. I thought the opposite of love was apathy. No, no, no. I thought the opposite of love was hate. No. Watch this. Prior to hate is fear. And so because you're afraid, you fight against. Because you're afraid, you run away from. Because you're afraid, you build up walls. Because you're afraid. What are you afraid of? You're afraid of being known. You're afraid of of someone coming and seeing you for who you are. Remember, we've said this. We've said this. Um, This is why uh, a lot of people love Southern hospitality. It's superficial, but it feels good. It says, I love you. I accept you. You're so great. I have no idea who you are. Come on now, honey. And you get called sugar and darling and all sorts of stuff, and you love it. Or you feel weird. Either one. But, but, we, but what, what about this? If, but then that's, that's sort of superficial. But our worst fear is, our worst fear is to be fully known and then rejected. If people really knew me and all my inadequacies and all the annoying quirks about me and all the stuff that my wife only knows and she has to deal with me because God said so. Like all of that, if people knew that, that, I'm sure they would reject me. But then when it comes to Jesus, he loves like this. Perfect love that says, I knew what I was getting into when I chose to love you. And I think for a lot of us, because we've had Cain experiences at home growing up or maybe even in church, we sort of go, we place all the value that people have put on us and we put that on God putting that on us and it's just not true. For fear, for fear has to do with punishment, rejection. 
I don't deserve it. And Jesus took what you deserved, took it all, which you deserve death. You, did, you were that bad. You were absolutely that bad. But God is that good that he could take away your sin and give you a brand new life. And whoever fears, watch this, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And I think if I could just jump, stomp my feet and jump around and make, like clap my hands, this is the part that you have not listened to for so long. You need to be perfected in love. You need to go, I am loved, I am loved, I am loved by the holy God who chose to die for you and for me. Who chose that? He was like, I'm willing to do that. I value them that much. Now watch this. If God valued you that much, but then he also valued your spouse that much, that means you should start to value your spouse more. Okay, and then, and then remember, the church, the church is whom Christ died for, and so we start to value other Christians like Jesus values them. Does that, do you understand how that, but that's hard to do if you're afraid of them. In fact, I'd say it's impossible. You'll come up with excuses. You'll be like, I'd love to, but there probably won't be enough for me because you don't understand what Jesus did for you. And I think, man, this is the part where if we could sit down in a counseling session, it'd be, I'd be hammering this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And when you're loved perfectly by God, you can move forward. We love because he first loved us right here. How did he first love us? He became unbelievably vulnerable. He's on the cross. Do you remember this? On the cross, completely exposed. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, they're mocking him. And there's Jesus saying ridiculous things like, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now watch this. We love because he first loved us, so that when Cain-type people hurt you, you can say, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're operating in fear. They're operating in that Cain mentality. They're operating in death. And so you have the ability to walk in the light as he is in the light because you've been so loved. And that's why you can endure not just Christmas, but every day with these church people who you're called to be brothers and sisters with. Okay. Then this next piece, which you've, you've heard, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen with all their issues and all their flaws and all their arrogance and all the criticalness can seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. Remember, God is the ultimate judge. And if you can't love that guy, how can you love the one that, he died, he died for that person. You must think he has got a cruddy value system if he would die for that guy. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So God calls us to love others through vulnerability. And this is what I love about this. That's why I love Jesus being on the cross. That's why the greatest show of what Jesus did for us is being on the cross. But then Paul, I love his, his just modeling of this in 2 Corinthians 12, where he goes, I had this thorn in my side and I pleaded with God three times to take it away from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The reason why people um, are repelled by you, you ready? It's because you're not vulnerable. When, when there is a, a friction point, you can't just own your own darkness. You're like, that's somebody else's fault. And you don't own it. And then nobody can get near you. And that becomes the problem that everybody is struggling with is that we're constantly playing this blame game and never understand our own weakness and boasting in it and saying like, I have a problem with control. I have a problem with comfort. I have a problem with just this need for power. I have this problem that I, it's in me and it's in my intentions and it's also in my actions. And thank God I have Jesus. And then you allow people to walk with you. And when they see that thing that's in you, they go, hey, I love you. And you remember when you told me you didn't want to be that thing, you're doing that thing. And then all of a sudden you go, no, I'm not. Okay, maybe I am. That's how that works. That's the repentance. That's the sanctification process. That's how you become more like Jesus over time because you're perfected in love and the person talking to you isn't coming from a place of judgment. They're coming from a place of love. I know you, I accept you, and I'm not going to let you stay that way. That is what Jesus does for us. And I think that's the thing we're most afraid of, isn't it? So here's what was really cool. The one thing that I saw, being, talk about being vulnerable, it's one thing to take in a friend that you know, right? Like, okay, uh, we know the four. I've known Trey for 15 years, something like that. So, I mean, okay, that's one thing. But what I saw at our church was people making themselves vulnerable to people they didn't know, which is the part that gets even, like, I mean, this is where you're like, I don't know that person. They could fill in the blank of, like, worst possible scenario, right? And so what I was watching, uh, I think this was Tuesday, when things got really bad, it was like seven degrees out. Uh, and um, I just love this. On our, if you're not on Slack, you need to be on Slack. And people were like, hey, if you know of anybody that needs a space, we have room. And then you got Paul Gonzalez, and I'll drive him there. <laughs> and I just love this. Like, so people after people after people, 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 people. And I love the Bennett's. I think you guys had three families at your house. It was kind of crazy. And so like everybody's sort of like taking this thing. And then what I was, I love this. This happened within a span of from 427, you know, 430, 431, 433, 510, 617. Boom, we are ready to take on the world. Let's go. Uh, and then what was really neat is there is... Um, uh, Judy, they're actually not on this list, but Judy and uh, David Boyer took in somebody, and I love, sort of the same story like Tyler. So Judy gave me full permission to talk about Dave. Um, and, uh, and this is what was really cool. Judy and Dave took in Terrence. And they're uh, newlyweds of about a couple months, right? And uh, Dave was like, I don't know if we're at a place yet where we can take anybody. We're still working on us. And Judy's like, this is the gospel. And <laughs> And then Dave's like, I want to grow in the gospel learning. I can do this. I can do this. And so, of course, Dave sort of like, he's like, yes, we're going to do this. And so they take in Terrence. And then, they, of course, they start arguing in front of Terrence. Terrence is like, we probably should pray, right? You know, that's the beautiful thing about that, right? I love that. Um, and Terrence has been with you guys. Even, is he still at your house? Yeah. And I, I, like, he just had uh, some throat surgery. So they were out like, last night around 10 o'clock looking for some food or some stuff for him to take care of him. And so they've, re- I mean, you want to talk about when's that going to end? They don't know. It's the very thing Dave was worried about. I knew it, right? 
But here it is. When the gospel penetrates your heart and you wrap your head around that, you start to live the life that Christ has called you to, which is sort of inconvenient. It's about this. And I know this is like, once you come to Jesus, everything works out perfectly. You, once you come to Jesus, you take up your cross, you die daily, and you follow him. It's like, yay, the motto for our Christian church. Let's get everybody in, seeker friendly. Come on, everybody, take up your cross, die daily, follow Jesus. Like, that just doesn't sell, right? I want my best life right now. I want it to be a little easier. I want a little, but what the great news is, if you're loved like that, you can do anything. And that's why it is easier. That's why when you have great hope and you know how loved you are, any kind of crisis becomes opportunity and you start looking at the world like that. It becomes different. And that's why I love what um, Judy and Dave experienced with Terrence and the beauty of them. I mean, he doesn't know Jesus. I mean, he's discovering Muslim or Islam. He's discovering, now he's discovering Christianity with them and how real it is. And I love that because they're a real picture of the gospel. Imperfect people, immature people who aren't okay with staying that way. And so I need you to see this. Watch this. The part of you that's sort of frustrating, the part of you that your wife sort of tolerates, the part of you that your husband's sort of like, mm. Jesus doesn't want you to just make them suffer, right? You're called to grow. Healthy things grow. Things in death don't. And so as you are experiencing the growth of Christ, it's going to hurt because did you know that my, my, my sweet Titus, he's uh, almost four, and he, my knees hurt, daddy, my knees hurt because he's growing. It hurts to grow. It causes you to leave something that you were to be what God has called you to be. And so my hope is that we wouldn't just uh, look at, oh, I already did all my growing. I'm five foot nine or I'm six foot three. No, no, that you have a lot of spiritual growth to do so that you could walk in the spirit. And so my, my question this morning is, will you trust God's design for family? Because listen, it is for your sanctification. It's for your sanctification. Remember, Jesus saved you from the penalty of sin, and then he gives you the church, gives you your spouse for the sanctification. Like, I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. I didn't know how generous I could be until I had kids. And so when you serve in the children's ministry, you get extra jewels in your crown because you become more generous. And so what I want uh, us to do this morning, we're going to take communion. And uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, if you're not a part of the family of God, then don't take communion. It's this, this is, that'd be weird. It's like getting involved in a family like tradition that's not your family. But if you want to be a part of the family of God, if you're like, I want to be loved like that, I want to be loved so much that even my worst, darkest fear, I wouldn't care if it came out in the light because I know that I'm loved anyway, then I want you to simply pray this prayer. It goes like this Jesus, I'm a sinner, sin against you, my thought, words, action. I'm not worthy of your love, but I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose to the dead. Holy Spirit, come to my life. Make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then you are a part of the family of God. Now, those are just words. And you probably already forgot half of them. But if you'd like Jesus, save me, that counts too. Because he can work with whatever you got. And so this morning, if that's you, 
and you're like, I want to do that communion thing, but I don't know where I am, just say, Jesus, save me. But if you've been a Christian for a while, um, we do communion every week because it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross. In fact, um, we use bread, well, because Jesus used bread. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. In the same way, our stomach is fueled by bread. Our soul is fueled by Jesus. And that same night, he he took the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me to be reminded of the day when you accepted what Jesus did for you and go back to that and think about it. And every time you fear rejection, every time you fear dependence, every time you fear all the things that we fear, you're reminded of perfect love that became unbelievably vulnerable. said, I love you. In spite of you, I choose you, even with all your flaws. And I'm going to grow in you something really special. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And we're going to take about 30 seconds to reflect. And so if there's a part of you that's been struggling with this, there's some unconfessed sin, or maybe you were, you were one of those people who like really wanted to take somebody in, but you're like, it might be too hard or too inconvenient or too whatever. And you feel like God's calling, just silently, quietly repent of that. If there's a part of you that is so afraid of someone knowing you because of all the canes you've had in your life, would you repent of that? People are that bad, but God is that good. We're going to take time to pray right now. Father, um, I'm so moved by your spirit. I'm so grateful for your word that impacts people powerfully. And God, I'm praying for everyone watching online, everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice, that they would experience your joy. And God, maybe for the first time, somebody would trust in you. And I pray that they would do it right now and just simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on that cross, rose from the dead, save me. And Holy Spirit, you would enter into that person. Father, I'm praying that um, for those who have been walking with you for a while, hardness of heart, scars, and they've been walking in the way of death. They got a lot of cane scars, and they, they've been wounded by cane a whole bunch, and they don't want to do any more cane. God, would you remind them that you went to the cross for all the canes, that you died because you value people who were broken, and you love them enough to die for them, to free them from the penalty of their sin, and you love them enough to not let them stay stuck in the way of death. But you've given that they might have life and have it to the full. So Lord, would you breathe life this morning into some people that have been doing church for a long time.